Our New Testament reading is from Colossians 2. We'll be focusing in the sermon on the first half of this passage. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world or the elemental principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which also you were raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. They are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental principles of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The word of the Lord. Thanks be God. Let's pray together. Gracious God, now as we have heard your read, word read, may you bless the proclamation of it to the imparting of our hearts, to receive it with glad hearts, and to live out the walk that we are to walk as we are united to Christ and raised with Him, seated with Him in heavenly places, dying to the world and all that it offers in His place. We pray for these blessings in His name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Baby, it's cold outside. Now you think this is a big storm, but in Maine, this is just any day ending in Y. In fact, if you go up to northern Maine, which is the same latitude as we're at here in Vancouver area, you'll go out to Lake uh, Moosehead Lake, and you'll see people driving their pickup trucks on Moosehead Lake because the ice is about that thick. Now imagine you were in a situation where, in order to get to safety, in order to get to your warm house, you actually had to walk across a lake. If you were in this area, you might be a little hesitant to do that, because you're not sure if it would be safe. You're not sure if it would be thick enough to give you safe passage. 
Well, essentially when we come to Colossians 2, we're being pressed with a question of what's the safe way to get to God? What's the safe way to get access to God, to get access to everything that the temple represented in terms of his heavenly presence? And there's a you know, there's a lot of debate, and, and unfortunately, we didn't have Sunday school today where I could kind of talk to you a little bit more about what I think's going on here. But basically, it's some form of Judaism. I mean, that should be kind of obvious, right? Circumcision, Sabbath, um, you know, don't touch, don't taste, which, of course, there's a lot of religions that would do that. But, you know, when you think back to the law, you weren't allowed to touch dead bodies. You weren't allowed to eat you know, pork and shellfish and all these things that we enjoy up here in the Pacific Northwest, right? Um, and so it's some form of Judaism, okay? Maybe it's mixed with some other things or maybe it's just Judaism proper. And what Paul is saying is that if you go down that road, it's like walking on thin ice. You're gonna fall through the water and you're gonna drown and you're gonna be cut off from the knowledge of God, the presence of God, the reality of God. The only safe place to be, you know, uh, on Christ, the solid rock, okay? He's the only one thick enough to get you there because he's the only Savior. Now, Paul starts off with what could be, I think, uh, N.T. Wright effectively says is the theme verse of this epistle, verses 6 and 7 of chapter 2. Part of the reason is because that's, it's the first command in the epistle. And if you remember uh, what I said last week, particularly in Sunday school class, everything in chapter 1 leading up to chapter 2, verse 6, is kind of an introduction for now this, this declaration. And in chapter 2, he's going to show you a wrong way to follow these words. And in chapter 3, he's going to show you the right way. So chapter 2, as you received Christ. So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith just as you were taught. Okay? So basically Paul's saying, everything that I taught you about Christ, everything that Epaphras taught you about Christ when he came back and started this church, everything that I've just taught you about Christ in chapter 1, um, you need to continue in that. You need to continue that. You don't need to be distracted. You don't need to be tempted to go off to this way that's thin ice, okay, that's poison, that's a virus. You need to stick with what you've heard, the apostolic gospel that I proclaimed. Okay? So let's think about that for a second. What are some of the ways that the Colossians had received Christ? As you have received Christ, so walk in him. Well, first of all, they received him according to apostolic proclamation. In fact, that's what the word here means. It's kind of a technical term that kind of means to receive by tradition, right? When Paul says, and we'll, we'll hear these words later in the, in the supper, you know, what I received from the Lord, I passed on to you as of first importance, okay? So, he had received the tradition that Jesus had taught his disciples, you know, observe this. That was, a, that was a dominical, that was an apostolic tradition of the Lord's Supper that Paul had received. And so the Colossians had received the stuff that Paul had taught to Epaphras there in, in Ephesus, that Epaphras took back to his hometown of Colossae. That's what they had received, okay? As you had been taught, you need to 
receive him. They, that means that they received him as Lord. We looked at this last week. He's the Lord of creation. God has made all things through him. He's the Lord of the new creation. He's the Lord of redemption. God is renewing all things through him. They had received him by grace. If you go back to uh, <clears throat> chapter 1, verse 6 of Colossians. Just got to get my Bible open here. Um, as indeed among you the gospel is bearing fruit, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Okay, so they received him by grace. They didn't earn the, their reception of him, they didn't merit it. They received him by faith. Chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God when we pray since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, chapter 1, verse 23. You, you are reconciled to God if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. They also received him through baptism, as we read in verse 12 here. We'll talk about the, that a little bit more, okay? But remember, Jesus said, if you, it, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And so even though... There are certain rituals that can be avoided, rituals associated with the ceremonial law of the Old Covenant, right, that are dangerous because they're, that those were fulfilled in Christ. And if we keep observing them today, as if we, it's, it's, it's as if we don't understand the reality that has come. Those were just a shadow, Paul says in verse 16. The substance, the reality, the truth is found in Christ. So even though there are certain rituals to be, to be avoided, there are other rituals that Christ has commanded. Baptism being one of them. Assembling in His name like we're doing this morning. Um, observing a meal. Okay? They received Him, and, and part of what that means, part of the significance of receiving Him via baptism, right? You don't baptize yourself. You have to go to somebody who's already a Christian to receive baptism, right? The Lord added to their number daily, such as were being saved, Acts 2.47. Well, how was he adding them? Because these people were saying, I, wanna, I believe in Jesus, I want to be a Christian, and they were being baptized. And we believe their families were as well, okay? And so part of what that means is that they were receiving Christ not just as little individuals, but as part of a new people, a new humanity, a new Israel made up of Jew and Gentile that was spreading out across the Roman Empire and, of course, has spread out over the entire world over the last 2,000 years. And that's, that's the last point I want to make here, is that they were receiving him as Gentiles, right? Chapter 1, verse 27. What is the mystery that Paul proclaims among the Gentiles, among all the nations of the earth, Christ in you, the hope of glory. They didn't need to be circumcised. They didn't need to observe a kosher diet. They didn't need to observe the, ceremonials, the ceremonies of the law. They didn't need to go through the, you know, the, the, the rituals of the mystery religions, that were, you know, Mithraism and Zoroastrianism, all the stuff that's going on in the first century. Okay? They were receiving him as Christ had commanded in his gospel, as the apostles had been proclaiming him by grace, by faith, through the ritual of baptism, incorporating them into the people of God. And Paul's point is, 
is that in all these different ways that God has been working among you, you need to continue in that. You need to walk in that, okay? So in other words, it's not enough just to like receive baptism and then you just go off and live however you want, you know, live like a pagan, okay? Um, you know, August 31st, 1996, that woman right there and I, we stood up together and said, you know, I take you as my wife, I take you as my husband, and it's not like I could have just walked off and said, hey, I'm, I think I'm going to take this other woman instead, you know, or have her in addition to this other woman. No, as I had received her as my wife, I was to continue in that relationship, you know, exclusive, devoted, committed, okay? So as you've received Christ, you are to continue in Him, built up, growing in Him, rooted in Him, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, right? I mean, if you know Christ, you have eternal life. You better be a thankful person, no matter how much snow there is out there that you got to plow, okay? No matter how slippy it is driving on the road to get here, okay? No matter how challenging it is at your workplace or in your school, or with your family relations who may not share this faith with you, may not share Christ with you that has totally transformed your life, totally consumed your life, and they don't share those loyalties. And that's, that's, that's not fun, right? We all know what that's like, okay? But as, but as Jesus said, you know, you have to hate father and mother and wife and spouse, right? Because he has to take the priority, okay? He gives us eternal life. He gives us access to God. He gives us a new way of, of being in the world that is joyful and grateful and, um, and loving and transformative. Now, as Paul works this out through the rest of the letter, he's going to show us in chapter 2 the second command, right? He's going to show us a way not to do this, Something that probably wasn't actually in the Colossian church the way it was in the Galatian church, right? That's why Paul, he doesn't even have a thanksgiving in Galatians because he gets right to this problem. Because right from the pulpit, there's a lot of false teaching going on. This, this thing in Colossae is probably something outside of it. But he says, watch out. Watch out. Okay? Um, and, and there's all kinds of debate about what it is and and some people think well it can't just be judaism because i mean there's this reference to philosophy and there's reference to worship of angels you know jews didn't worship angels um there's all this kind of strange language well one of the interesting things in the first century uh, maybe you've heard of a of a, a great um jewish scholar in alexandria named philo Okay. And there was another guy named Josephus, right? He wrote about the Jewish history, and he wrote about the destruction of Jerusalem that Jesus predicted. And both of those guys described their Jewish religion as philosophy, as a way to make it appealing to a Greco-Roman culture. There's another author who wrote this book called, that we call today Four Maccabees. And uh, in chapter 5, we read these words. It's very interesting. 
Don't think that eating unclean meat is a trifling offense. For transgression of the law, whether in small or great matters, is of equal importance. For in either case, the law is equally slighted. But you deride our philosophy as though we lived in it irrationally, yet it instructs us in self-control. Right? Paul says that these people devoted to these ascetic practices, they think, they think it gives them control, power over the flesh. The power to deal with, the, with immorality and things like that. Yet it gives us self-control so that we are superior to all pleasures and lusts. And it trains us in courage so that we cheerfully undergo every grievance. So here, here's another person in the same time period describing Judaism, which as I described last week, is basically, it's an, it's an attempt to have an Old Testament religion that, without Christ. Okay, an attempt to have an Old Testament religion without Christ, which, of course, the Bible says you can't do that. And describing it as a philosophy, okay, to kind of make it attractive to this Greco-Roman world. And Paul's saying this... So, so part of it also is that Paul is not necessarily completely against philosophy. You know, your pastor talks about that a lot. But he's against this specific philosophy. One other thing to note here is it says, Paul says, um, see to it that no one takes you captive. No one takes you captive. That's one Greek word in the original. And let me, let me read it for you, okay? Sulagogon. Sulagogon, okay? Guess what? If I change that L to an N, guess what word I have? Synagogue. Okay, what Paul is saying with a little pun here is don't be taken captive by the synagogue. Sulagogon. Don't be taken captive. Watch out. Okay, because you Gentiles have come to know Israel's Messiah, and there's, there's at least a thousand Jews in this area where they live. Okay, so there's probably all kinds of synagogues around town. And they may tell you, well, if you really want to know the God of Israel, you've got to get circumcised. You know, this Messiah that hung on a cross, he's not the real Messiah. That wouldn't happen to the Messiah, okay? He can't be the Christ. But we, we are the people of God. We have the oracles of God. We practice circumcision. We've been doing it for 1,500 years. Why wouldn't you want to do it? Paul says, no, don't be taken captive by that philosophy by that human teaching you see because if you if you try to hold on to the torah after christ has come right paul says christ is the end end of torah the goal of the torah what it was all moving to and so certain practices now of of the ceremonial law we don't have to do and in fact to do them cuts us off from the grace of god according to galatians chapter 5 no you, in Him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. You have been filled with Him. And we talked about how it, it, that's calling us back to chapter 1, where, right? Where, where we said that that filling had to do with God's temple presence. It's no longer found in the earthly temple in Jerusalem. It's not found in the ritualistic practices of Judaism. It's not found in the mystery religions. It's not found in paganism. Where is it found? It's found in Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. John 1, 14, right? He tabernacled. He 
embodies everything about the temple, everything about the tabernacle where God dwelt among his people, it's now found in Israel's Messiah. It's now found in Messiah Jesus. That is the place where you get access to God. That is the place where you get the life of God. Okay? And in fact, you don't need a, a ritualistic physical circumcision because in Him, verse 11, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Everything about circumcision and what it told us about the fact that we've got a problem, okay? The removing of the foreskin of the flesh was to tell us that we've got a heart problem that's got to be dealt with. And in fact, you know, Moses even says in Deuteronomy 10, circumcise your heart. Jeremiah comes along hundreds of years later in Jeremiah 4, I think it is, and says, circumcise your heart. It's not, it's not so much about the physical ritual. It's telling you that you've got a problem with your heart. And what Paul is saying is that that problem, ultimately, you can't solve it. Ultimately, the law can't solve it. It can only be solved through the Messiah hanging on an instrument of Roman torture. All the earthly powers arrayed against him. You know, um, the rulers of this earth gather against the Lord and against his, his anointed, and they try to throw off the Lord's shackles. They're gathered against him, and they say, Now at last, we can take his son. We can kill the son. Then we'll be the heirs. We can kill the Messiah. Then we'll be the ones in charge. And they hang him on that instrument of Roman torture. And Paul says in that very act, the real problem of mankind is being dealt with. What's fascinating here is that 1,500 years earlier, when Moses gave the law, he said, you're going to break the law. You're going to be sent into exile. God's going to bring you back. And then he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Ready? Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. And what Paul is telling these Colossians out in this little podunk town that he's never been to, <clears throat> that's, you know, is about to be wiped out by a, by a um, earthquake. You know, you think a snowstorm's bad. Um, He's saying that, that what God promised to do 1,500 years earlier through Moses, it's not happening to the people who are running the temple in Jerusalem. It's not happening to Caesar sitting there in his great palace in Rome. It's not happening in the synagogue down the street from you where they're practicing circumcision and eating a kosher diet and claiming to be the people of God. It's hap it happened to you, people of God, followers of Christ. It happened to you. That prophecy is being fulfilled now among all those who are followers of Messiah Jesus. 
Your heart is being circumcised in Him. You've been united to Him in His death. You've been united to Him in His burial. You've been united to Him in His resurrection. You are a new person. Even though you, may look, you might look exactly or even look worse than your neighbor or all the glitzy people you see on the screen. Okay, You might be a little pudgier. You might have a few more wrinkles. You might be a little grayer. But you are the holy people of God. The, the, the return from exile people of God. The exodus people of God. You know, as he said back in chapter 1, he's taken us from the kingdom of darkness, the domain of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of his son whom he loves, in whom is redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul says that your baptism speaks to you of these things. Right? Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. You know, you don't need to go down and have your sons circumcised. There's a new rite, there's a new ritual by which you enter the people of God. Jesus himself commanded it, right? Baptize, make disciples, baptizing them. And Paul is the one, Paul, the, you know, the Jew, the Pharisee, the one who was zealous for the law, the one who would have been, you know, like a, like a good Pharisee, like Jesus said, crossing heaven and earth to get somebody circumcised. Paul gives us the greatest spiritual insights into the fact that baptism is a means by which God unites us to Christ and therefore, we participate in Him, particularly in His death and resurrection. Particularly in His death and resurrection. Now, now it's not like this is a magic thing, right? I mean, it's not apart from faith, right? Verse 13, in which, you, in which meaning baptism, you were also raised with Him through faith, okay? Baptism doesn't really do you any good if you, if you don't actually believe everything that it's telling you about the gospel, Okay? So it's not, it's not like, again, it's not like this get out of jail free card. Again, it's, not, it's like my wedding ring. It's not like I can say, well, you know, Sally will always be good to me even if I just run off with another woman. You know? Um, she's threatened a lot of bad things to me if I run off with another woman, right? And, and the same thing with our baptism, right? If you neglect the grace of God, if you do not trust in the one into whom you are baptized, it becomes a means by which God will hold you even more accountable on the last day. But again, Paul's point is not so much about you know, what it doesn't do, but about what it tells you. Okay. Again, you may have heard me say this before, but everything that's kind of said generally in the Scriptures about the reality of the Gospel, all these kind of us's and we's, when I think about my baptism, it's, it's me. It's Brian Nolder. That stuff is true for me. Okay, It's a way for me to think about God personalizing and particularizing the reality that He speaks to me in His Word so that I can, by faith, appropriate it. Um, Calvin puts it this way. <clears throat> 
Truly, having been buried with Christ, we are partakers of His death. He expressly teaches that we obtain this through baptism so that it would be more clearly apparent that there is no advantage for circumcision under the reign of Christ. Paul anticipates an objection of this kind, you know, well, we have always been circumcised, and why can't we just keep doing it if it was beneficial to the Old Testament people of God? Paul anticipates an objection of this kind by mentioning baptism. Christ, he says, accomplishes in us spiritual circumcision, not by that ancient sign, which was enforced under Moses, but by baptism. Baptism, therefore, is a sign of the thing that is presented to us, which, while absent, meaning the Old Testament, was prefigured by circumcision. For those who retain circumcision contrive a mode of dispensation different from that which God has appointed. That's a fancy way of saying it's not the right time anymore to practice circumcision. I mean, again, if you want to practice it for health reasons, whatever, okay, that's fine. But in terms of identifying you as the people of God, in terms of identifying you as an heir of what God promises to you, it's not the right time anymore. Now is the time for baptism. That's what Christ has appointed. That's where Paul says all these things about the reality. You know, someone asked me recently, <clears throat> and we're not going to tell you who it is, um, if I believe in baptismal regeneration, okay? Well, I don't think I do, but I certainly believe, if I understand the Apostle Paul, in baptismal incorporation. Right? A means of grace, as our catechism says, as our confession says, speaking to us about the realities of what it means to be united to Christ. And then Paul goes on to say, <clears throat> You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Not only are you a different person, you are a cleansed person, you are a forgiven person. Right? I mean, in, in a sense, everything Paul is talking about here is just another way of talking about the new covenant. Right? I will write my law upon their hearts. You're going to be circumcised in Christ. You're going to be put to death in Christ. You're going to be given the Spirit. And I will forgive their sins. I will remember their sins no more. He cancels the debt that is uh, the handwritten debt, right? It says on the last day that the books are going to be taken out, okay? You know, it's amazing how much access we have to our life on video, right? And it gets people in trouble, right? They find some tweet from 10 years ago. Oh, what a bad person this is, you know, because of what he said about... Sodomites 10 years ago, okay? Um, you know, imagine if I had a videotape of your life for the last 24 hours. What, what would you want to be fast-forwarding through that I would see, okay? A certain conversation or a certain way you reacted to your children or to your spouse, okay? Now imagine, not just 24 hours, how about a week? How about two weeks? There's probably a lot of stuff we wouldn't want to know about each other. And <laughs> we'd be very embarrassed, right? Well, God's got the whole film, okay? Whatever you're worried about is back there on Twitter or whatever. God's got the whole film. And God says the whole thing 
is wiped out. Okay? Why would you want to look anywhere else to think that you can get access to God, to the ceremonies of the law, or to whatever, you know, mysticism or whatever, or changing your view of God where he just doesn't really care about, you know, the things that you've done? No. We have a holy, righteous God who has a book and he knows it all and he says, delete. Blood of Christ cleanses, washes, wipes out, forgiven, accepted, transformed, welcomed into my family. Without being circumcised, without becoming a Jew, without any other way but in Jesus Christ, in His cross, in His death, burial, and resurrection. You know, that's why, that's why we repeat the words of the creed every week, right? It's to remind us of the most basic, but the most important, the most fundamental. You know, don't ever fall for anything that says, you need to go beyond Christ, right? No, you need to be rooted and built up. He is the place in which God is doing His work in the world. He is the one who, is, who has been exalted to His right hand and given all power and authority. And Paul says one of the implications of this is that by the cross, He has triumphed, right? Verse 15 here. He has triumphed all the rulers and authorities, right? All those rulers and authorities that He talked about that were created through Christ back in chapter 1 largely have rebelled against Him as all mankind has, and in the, in the upside-down turn of the gospel, at the very point where the Son of God humbles Himself, hangs on an instrument of Roman torture, submits to those powers, as it were, humbles Himself before them, takes their full wrath, and in that very act, triumphs over them. triumphs over them. You gain by losing. You win by surrendering. That's what the gospel is telling us. You know, again, just think about it in terms of the people in Jerusalem in AD 30 or AD 33, whatever the right date is. Okay, The Sanhedrin the Pharisees, they thought they were getting rid of it with a false prophet who was leading the people astray. And now he is the one through whom God speaks to us in these last days, Hebrews chapter 1. The Romans thought that they were getting rid of a rival king who would challenge their power. And now he is the one exalted at God's right hand. And he is the one through whom eventually the preaching of his gospel, the, the Roman Empire crumbled. You see, brothers and sisters, the crucified Christ means that we can have confidence in the face of evil, and not just the evil of, a, of a, an individual person, but institutional evil, okay? societal evil, right? You know, we live in these states where they want to 
fly people from other, other, those, those nasty places like Alabama and Mississippi where they're outlawing abortion, fly them up here so that they can kill their children. We don't need to be afraid of them because life is going to win out. Okay? They're, they're, just, they're just devouring themselves. Right? They're cutting off their own wicked progeny, as it were. The crucified Christ has power over the power brokers in Olympia and Salem and Washington and Beijing and Brussels and Moscow. Okay? He has power over COVID bureaucrats who want to tell us that we can't assemble as the people of God. He has power over the CDC and Dr. Fauci, right? He has power over DEI cancel squads who want to say you're a bad person if you believe in traditional marriage, if you believe that Western civilization was actually a, a, a decent thing, okay? Don't fear being canceled, you know? God has canceled out the debt of your sins. He has accepted you. Don't fear, you know, don't fear what man can do to you. Don't fear who can only kill the body, can only kill your reputation, can only kill maybe your opportunity to get a, a decent job. Fear him who can destroy, fear him who, who has authority over all those things, okay? Who can destroy body and soul and cast both into hell. Don't fear being rejected by men. Take comfort that you are accepted by God in His Son. Now, I want to be careful here. Just because we, we believe that God has power over all these things in Christ doesn't mean that we're just allowed to, like, you know, have a revolution. <laughs> okay, and through physical force of arms, that was the very problem with Rome and the Jews, is they just wanted to transform the outward things through physical might. God is saying, the problem's here, okay? We need a circumcision of the heart that can only come about through the gospel. So don't put your trust in, your, you know, put your trust in the sword of the Spirit and not in your firearm, okay? I'm not telling you not to buy a gun, okay? I'm not, that's not, not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, is that real change, the, the transformation that happened in the Greco-Roman world, the transformation that happened to the Roman Empire, the transformation that happened in Western civilization, it wasn't through having you know, the right strategies, the right tactics, the, the right connections, the right abilities. It was through the proclamation of the crucified and risen Christ. It was through the people of God living humble, quiet lives under the authority of Christ, saying, you know, no matter what you do to me, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. You need Him just as much as we need Him. If you want to have life, you're only going to find it in Him. And so, brothers and sisters, first the cross, then the crown. First humiliation, and then exaltation. Don't be deceived by anything that takes you away from Him, whether it's Judaism, Hinduism, Islam, secularism, mysticism, New Ageism, okay? Don't let anything take you away from the God who has revealed Himself in His Son, crucified and risen, canceling out the debt of our sins, giving us new life, uniting us to Him so that we can live and be His people.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.